Good morning. If you are new, I want to extend a special welcome to you. My name is Chris, uh, one of the elders here at West Village. I'm really excited for this morning. We have a really uh, big morning for us as a church. Uh, Normally what we do is teach verse by verse through books of the Bible this morning, and we've been going through a series on the Gospel of Matthew. This morning we're going to hit pause on that, and we're going to kind of have a family chat, uh, because what we're going to be doing this morning is bringing uh, in front of the church Ken DeSaw as an elder candidate, uh, which is a really big deal, and you know that's what the whole sermon's about. You're going to hear why it's a really big deal in in just a minute. But for us as a church, this is kind of sort of like um, uh, it, it's, it's like a family Sunday where we're just celebrating the great work that God has been doing among us as a church. So if you're new, uh, if this is like your first Sunday with us or you came with a friend or you've never been to church before or something like that, you're going to get to, it's, it's actually a great morning to be here because you're going to get to peek under the hood and really get an insider look of what, who we are as a church. Uh, and so we got to get to work because we've got, a, that kid is not excited about this, <laughs> but that's all right. We, children are a blessing from the Lord and they are a glorious interruption. And so don't feel bad at all because we love kids around here and Lord knows we have a lot of them. If you have your Bibles, grab them, open them up, go to 1 Timothy because that's where we're going to be this morning. And what I want to do with our time together is essentially answer uh, one question. And the question is this, why is this such a big deal? Why is eldership such a big deal? Why is it a big deal that this morning we're going to bring Kendasaw uh, in front of our church family and, and the rest of the elders, as you will hear, will we'll commend him to you as a, as a candidate for eldership in our church. Uh, I mean, and the reason I'm, I'm posing it that way is because if you've been in church for any length of time, maybe your experience is something like mine, whereby the people that we tend to hold up in high esteem are, are the staff in a church. Uh, but the elders are often people who are kind of, you know, off to the side, perhaps a board of governors or leaders who, uh, you know, make uh, administrative decisions. They might even be the, the assistants to the pastors, but it's the pastors or the, the staff in the church who do the real work of ministry, and, and the elders are just there to make sure they don't do anything illegal, go to jail or, or something like that. Now, and I'm, I'm kind of joking, uh, but kind of not. And, and there's a great book, which I would commend to you if you have any interest in reading on eldership. It's called Biblical Eldership by Alexander Strzok. It's perhaps the greatest book on eldership that is, uh, that is out there. And he tells this story where he walks into a church and he's in the lobby. He's there for a concert or a rehearsal or something. And, and he's in, in the lobby and he sees on the, the wall, he sees this, this picture of all of the staff at the church. And, and they're in the, f- the form of a pyramid, like the shape of a pyramid. At the top of the pyramid is the lead pastor, right? He's, he's at the top. And then there's the associate staff and so on and so forth. And then he went down the hallway to use the facilities, the washroom, and next to the washroom, there, were, uh, there, there was a bulletin board, and on that bulletin board was just a list of names, and those names represented who the elders were in the church. And he says, uh, this is the problem. This is a problem in our church, that we don't have a b- biblical view of what true eldership is. And so this morning, what I want to do is make a biblical case for why eldership is a big deal. Okay, now, so what I have to do this morning, just I'm just going to put all my cards on the table here so that we're all on the same page. I have to try as best I can to preach church governance. Okay, so that's like preaching the phone book to some of you. Okay, so I'm going to do my part, which is yell a lot and get super excited and, and try and, and make this, you know, uh, engaging for you. But I need you to do your part, which is lean in because the temptation will be like, this isn't important because my marriage is jacked up. So what does this have to do with anything? And my, my, my commandment to you is that this is actually infinitely important. The, the implications to what we're talking about this morning as a church are massive 
because what we're talking about is the church. And the church is a big deal. So, so go 1 Timothy chapter 3 if you have your Bibles. And 1 Timothy is a book written by a, a man named the Apostle Paul who planted a bunch of churches. And here he's writing a letter to his young protege, his understudy named Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3 in particular, he's giving Timothy some uh, instruction on how the church is to be led, how it is to be governed. So if you go 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first, I think, seven verses or so, are, are Paul giving Timothy instruction on, on what an elder is and what the qualifications are for eldership? And then the next few verses, he talks uh, about deacons. And then at the end of all this, he kind of wraps a bow on this. And he says this in verse 14, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 14. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some here on the table. That's our gift to you. You can download Bible app on your phone, but I encourage you to follow along. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says this, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Okay, let's stop there for just a second. So, so Paul's telling us and telling Timothy why he gave the, uh, him and us all these instructions about how the church is to be governed, about elders, about deacons, how they're supposed to operate and work. And here's, here's what he's saying. I want you to know how the church is to be led. Right? So we don't have to guess. Uh, we don't have to make stuff up. We don't have to look at the business world and say, what are the best business practices? We don't have to sit around and go, man, how are we going to do this? Because we're not sure how this is supposed to be done. So let's all sit around. Let's brainstorm some ideas and let's come up with the best thing we can come up with. We don't have to do that. God in his grace and his kindness to us, he's actually told us how the church is to be governed, how we are to conduct ourselves in the church. It's beautiful. It's his gift. It's his grace to us that he would actually give us this knowledge and this information. And then look at what he says next. And this is what I really want to hone in on. If I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves. Here's what he says, second half of verse 15, in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. If you're a Bible underliner, pillar and foundation of the truth. That's a phrase you should consider underlining because here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Uh, he, he's saying that the church is a really, really big deal. And, and the reason that the church is a really, really big deal is because the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. What is the truth that the church is the, found, uh, the pillar and the foundation of? That is the truth of the gospel. Right? The truth of the reality of God's love as demonstrated to us in Christ Jesus, in his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his sending of the Spirit. The church, listen to this, is the means by which this is held up to the world. Now, I want to be clear about what he's not saying. He's not saying that, that we are the ones who build the church. He's not saying that we are the ones who, 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 who sustain the church. He's not saying that we are the ones who plant churches and grow churches. That's all his business. That's all Jesus' work. That's what he says in Matthew chapter 16. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But here's what he is saying. He's using an architectural term here, right? A pillar, like a, like a load-bearing wall or a foundation, the thing that the house stands on. He's saying... The church is the means by which the world is going to actually know the truth of the gospel. Another way that the Apostle Paul expresses this truth, another analogy that he uses in, is in Ephesians chapter 2, I believe, where he describes the church as a body. And he says this, Paul says, the church is the body of Christ of which him, Christ, is the head. So Jesus is the head of the church. We are the body of Christ. And a lot of times, and I've said this many times here before, a lot of the times the way that we interpret that analogy is that we all have a part to play in the work of being the church. And that's true, but that is, 
only a small part of what that verse actually is trying to uh, tell us or implicate to us. See, what the apostle Paul is saying is that the church is the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head, meaning the church is the ongoing incarnation of Jesus. We've been filled with the Spirit. You and me are the actual, is a super lame thing that, you know, you see on Christian bumper stickers or you know, just uh, the hands and feet of Jesus. That's us. That's the church. We are the church. The church isn't an event. The church isn't a building. The church is the means by which God has chosen for whatever reason in his infinite and good wisdom to make himself known in the world. So here's my point. The church is a big deal. It matters. Now, now I just want for a second, because I got to preach here a little bit. Otherwise, I'm not going to feel like I did my job this morning. I'm just going to hold that view of the church up and ask you to ask yourself, is this how I view the church? Do, do I view the church in such high esteem as that? Or, or, or is my posture when it comes to church, is my posture that this thing exists for me? I hope I like the preaching. I hope I like the music. I hope the church entertains me. I hope the kids' ministry is good. Do you have something for my wife? Do you have something for me? Like, I, this is a service, right? We have a transactional relationship whereby you're committed to the church to the degree that the church meets your needs. Can, can I just contend with us for a second? Can I submit to us that that's, in no way, the way we are to treat the body of Christ, the pillar and foundation of truth, the means by which God desires to express who he is to our world. And so the point that the Apostle Paul is trying to make this morning is that the church is actually a big deal. But here's the bigger point that I want us to see this morning, that it's not only the church that's a big deal, but that eldership is a big deal. And the reason that eldership is a big deal isn't because elders are a big deal. Believe me, I'm one, I'm a joke, you know me, right? Love babies. I, I hope we have babies that cry in this church for the next 50 years because that's a sign of God's faithfulness to us. So please do not feel bad if your baby is crying. I'll figure it out. I can preach. Do not feel bad. Children are important. We love them around here. But they are, they are Genesis 3 is alive and well in babies. Okay? I know I saw Andrew and Shannon. They had a baby. I was holding the baby and Andrew's like, isn't she perfect? I'm like, no, she's not. <laughs> she was born into iniquity, brother. <laughs> Get your gospel straight here, homie. Here's what I, here, here, sorry. I actually think Satan's trying to deter what the spirit might have for us this morning. I asked Nathan before I started because I didn't want my batteries to die on me. I said, did we change the batteries? He said, yeah, we changed them last week. We haven't had babies crying here like that in quite some time. And, I'm, and again, it's not a problem. But I think Satan's trying to take us off our game here this morning. Okay, so I'm just going to stop. We're going to take a breath. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me and we are going to pray together, all right? Lord Jesus, we know you have something great for us. Dogs never bark at parked cars. 
Something great is happening in our midst, not just this morning, but in this season as a church. And we want to acknowledge that, that that comes from your hand. And we want to take this morning just as a reminder of how little control we have over anything. Thank you for the grace of this moment that we could not deceive ourselves into thinking we are doing something wonderful as a church. But it is by your hand and your hand alone that anything good happens. And so as a church, we just humble ourselves, we submit ourselves to you, and we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would speak in a powerful way to us this morning. And all God's children said, amen, amen. So the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. It's the means by which God makes himself known in our world. It's the way in which he's chosen to reveal himself through his people, through his church. And so the reason eldership is a big deal, as I've already said, is not because elders are a big deal, but because the church is a big deal. And God has designed that elders be the overseers of the church. If you go back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, you'll see the apostle Paul say this in his introduction on eldership. He says, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an elder desires a noble task. The reason the task of eldership or overseer in the church is noble is not because the work is noble, is not because the elder is noble, but it is because the work of the church is actually the work of the gospel. And so it's not just eldership that is a noble task, although it is indeed that, but it's everything that we do as a church is a noble task. There are no unknowable tasks when it comes to Jesus and his church. Uh, this morning when our team was gathering at 9, 10 to pray, I was reminding them that every interaction we have is actually an interaction, an opportunity to make Jesus known in our city. But that extends beyond the hour of 10 and 11.30 on a Sunday morning here. That extends into your neighborhood, into your school, wherever you work, wherever you learn, wherever you play, wherever you live. Every interaction is an opportunity to make Jesus known because we are the church, the pillar and foundation of truth. And so eldership is a big deal, but only because Jesus is a big deal. And so what that means for us this morning is what we are doing, it is deeply spiritual. The implications are significant. There's missional implications. There's gospel implications this morning as we come together as a church family to discern eldership in our church. So I want you to feel that with me. I want you to feel that God's heart for his church is big, and I want your heart for his church to grow in the way that his heart is big for his church. So let me now just help us understand exactly where eldership fits. So if you have your Bibles Go back or go over to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, this is another text where uh, we are given some instruction on eldership. Here's what Peter writes. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds. That's the same word for elder. Of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, 
but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So again, here in 1 Peter chapter 5, there's no mystery. We're not left wondering how the church is to be led, how the church is to be governed. And so I kind of sketched out a diagram that Nathan made look a little bit better. If you could throw that diagram up on the screen, Ian. Here we see a picture of what the church is to look like, what the governance of the church is to look like. So you can see here at the bottom, we have the foundation of the church. And at the top, we have the mission of the church. But this center diagram here is exactly what Peter lays out for us in 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at what he says. Again, you don't have to put these verses on the screen, and you can just leave that graphic up there. But he says this in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, he will, uh, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, now what, what's interesting here about what Peter says is that he calls Jesus the chief shepherd. So earlier in these verses, he refers to the elders as shepherds, but then he says there's one shepherd who's more significant than all the other shepherds. He's the chief shepherd, and the chief shepherd is Jesus. In other words, and I want you to hear this. This is really important. I, in a sense, we're, we're blowing up some of our paradigms of how we understand the church. Jesus is the leader of this church, he is the chief shepherd. He is the lead shepherd. That word shepherd can also be translated pastor. He is the chief pastor. He is the lead pastor. He is, if you will, to use modern day church vernacular, the senior leader or senior pastor in the church. I, I say this a lot. I will say it again. I am not the lead pastor. I am not the senior pastor. I am not the senior leader. I am not the, the lead guy. That's not my job. That's Jesus's job. And I know for some of you, this is, it seems semantical, but I don't think it's the case. I think it's deeply important for us to understand this. It's deeply important for us to understand that it is Jesus who planted this church. It is Jesus who sustains this church. It is Jesus who grows this church. It is Jesus who leads this church. It is Jesus. He is the one who we follow. He is the one who we lay our lives down for. He is the one that we serve. It is not me. It is him. He is the chief shepherd. This isn't something we made up here at West Village. This is what Paul and Peter lay out for us in the scriptures. So the church isn't led by a particular person or personality or group of leaders. That isn't who we follow. We follow Jesus. Amen? And again, for some of us, this, this seems semantical, but how many times have you heard somebody say something like this? We don't want to put our pastors up on pedestals, right? We say that all the time. We don't want to put them up on pedestals because if you put them up on a pedestal, what's going to happen to them? They will indeed fall. The second you take one person and make them more important in the body of Christ than everybody else, no matter how hard you try, you have put them on a pedestal. No matter how hard I preach this, some of you put me on a pedestal. The only one who should be on a pedestal is Jesus. Some of you have been failed by church leaders. You've been hurt by church leaders. You've been hurt by me or other leaders in this church. Let me just tell you this right now. I will fail you. We will 
fail you. If it's your first Sunday, we're going to fail you. If you're like, I went to church and they failed me, this church team, no, we're not great. We suck. We will disappoint you. So don't put your hope in us. Put your hope in Jesus. Put him on the pedestal, worship him, serve him, and follow him. Lay down your life for him. Now, if that's the case, if Jesus is the lead pastor, the chief shepherd, the senior leader in the church, where do elders fit into this? Well, we see this right here in 1 Peter chapter 5, that it is Jesus who appoints what, what we call under-shepherds or, or elders to give oversight to the church. So in other words, we have Jesus. He's the chief shepherd. He's the senior leader. He's the lead pastor. He gives oversight to the church, and it's him who then appoints under-shepherds or pastors or elders to the church to give oversight and leadership. So biblically, I just want to give us a definition of what eldership is, and this should be up on the screen. We define eldership like this, as biblically qualified male leaders who are called by God and affirmed by their local church to give spiritual oversight and shepherd care to their family. Let me read that again. Biblically qualified male leaders who are called by God and affirmed by their local church to give spiritual oversight and shepherd care to the church family. Now that is a loaded definition that I do not have on time this morning to unpack in its entirety. I will say this though, uh, next week and the week after, there's going to be a series of blogs coming out on our blog that will be written by myself or someone else here in leadership, just unpacking some of the distinctives of eldership. But I just do not have time this morning to go through all of that. But, but here's what I want you to see, that according to the scriptures, according to the New Testament, according to the apostles who have given us the word of God that have uh, allowed us to understand so we don't have to make it up for ourselves how the church is to be governed, that the church is to be governed by what is called a plurality of elders or a plurality of leaders. Meaning right now we have three elders. You're going to see them this morning. There's myself, there was Matt who's already up here, and Jay, and we're going to bring forward Ken DeSaw. And I need you to get this. There is no distinction between us. We are the same there's distinction in our giftings, to be sure. There's the distinction in the way that we lead, in our personalities, in the way that God has gifted us, absolutely. But in terms of our, our authority in the church, we are all the same. I don't have a, you know, a Trump vote. That's probably not a great term to use, eh? <laughs> I don't have a veto vote. We're the same. And I'll just say this by way of giving you insight into how eldership works at West Village. We actually have never voted on anything. We don't make any decisions unless we're completely unified on them. That means sometimes we have items on our agenda. It's the least efficient way to lead anything. Let me just tell you that. But it preserves unity in the church, which is deeply important. And it honors Jesus, which is deeply important to us. And that's more important than being efficient or effective. And so for some of you, you might wrestle with this. You go, but Chris, didn't you go to Bible college and study to do this? And you're like a professional Christian. Like we pay you to be a Christian. Isn't that true? Sort of. It's weird. I know. I get it. But, but here's the reality. If training is what qualifies me over all the other guys to be the most important, then technically Matt actually is the most qualified because he has the most schooling of all of us. He's got more theological education than I do. 
So we know, though, if we go through the New Testament, if we go through 1 Timothy 3, if we go through 1 Peter 5, if we go through Titus 1, what qualifies someone for eldership is not whether they went to Bible college. It's not whether they went to seminary. It's not whether you know, they've been on staff in churches before. The kinds of questions that the New Testament asks about the, the men in question with regards to eldership is, do they love their wife? Do they disciple their kids? Are they good neighbors? They're all about character, not about competency, not about skill. And so I think it's really important that we don't make a distinction between vocational and lay elders. And I would actually, I think you can make a decent argument that the ones that should be really held up in esteem are the ones who have full-time jobs, families, and still find time in their week to help lead and do pastoral care and give oversight to the church because their measure of sacrifice in many ways is far greater than my measure of sacrifice because I'm freed up full-time to do this. And some of you may ask, well, why are you freed up full-time and not some of the other guys? And the answer to that would be because this makes, in our opinion, this makes the most sense for the sake of the mission of the church. The way that, the, the way that I've been gifted to us makes the most sense to free up my time fully to do the work that I do. That doesn't make it more important, but it does help our church be more faithful and more fruitful just because of the nature of the gifts. Will we ever have other elders here at West Village who are on staff? Absolutely. I think that will be the case at some point. But at this point, right now, it's not. And so it's important that we understand that as we bring an elder forward, what we're doing is we're actually bringing a pastor forward. There's a weightiness to this decision that our elders are actually our pastors I don't want to spend too much time on this because we've already had our time cut short to some degree, but I want to just quickly walk through some of the other things on uh, this chart. So we have Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd. We have the elders, who are the under shepherds. And then we have the deacons. And the, the word deacon, and again, Paul lays this out in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but the word deacon literally means servants. And you can see here the way that things work at West Village is that's who our staff are. Uh, so we have a number of deacons here at West Village, and they, and they serve the elders who then can be freed up to give oversight to the church. So one of our uh, deacons, we don't call them deacons, we just call them staff. We should probably call them deacons, but we don't. Uh, one of the deacons is Andrew. Andrew's on full-time staff. They just had a baby, so he's not here this morning. Yeah, you can clap for babies. That's all right. You don't feel bad. Yeah, we already did, but it's an almost perfect baby, so we'll clap twice. Uh, we have Nathan, who uh, gives oversight to our music. This morning, he's mixing in the soundboard. He's on staff 15 hours a week. We have Brianna, who serves faithfully uh, down the hallway with our kids. She's on staff 10 hours a week. Uh, we just brought, sorry, just one more. Who is it? It's that guy right there. Uh, we just brought Dave on, uh, introduced him to you last week. He's on 10 hours a week, works with our high school students, and adults, and does some other things with us. And then we have some lay deacons. So Robert, who gives oversight to our setup ministry. Matt, who's giving some help with our hospitality ministry. These are people who serve. They, they serve in, in a unique way. I mean, everybody serves, but they serve in a unique way that frees up the elders to be able to, to be on mission, to pray for the church, to teach and preach, and, and to shepherd and give oversight. And then after deacons, we have members. Now, again, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but members are those who have entered into a covenantal relationship with Jesus and one another to say that this is our church family. And together, we want to be on mission. That the church is no longer an event I attend. This is no longer just the flavor of the day, but this is my family. 
I'm entering into a covenant. I'm not going to treat the church like a restaurant. I'm not going to treat it like my cell phone provider. If I can get a better deal somewhere else, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm actually going to lay down my life for this community. What's interesting in the New Testament is there's three covenantal relationships that we see. And all of them are a picture of the ultimate covenantal relationship, which is the relationship that God has with his people. And the church is one of those covenantal relationships. So the way that we lay down our lives for Jesus and one another together is actually intended to be a picture to an unbelieving world of a God who lays down his life for his people. When we say, oh, I don't like that church, that pastor said something I don't like, I'm going somewhere else, or those people did something, blah, 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 then we look just like the world. But when we say, I go to West Village, and they say, doesn't that guy yell all the time? You're like, yep, but I made a commitment, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> then we look like Jesus. I'm just kidding. But when we humbly say, yeah, this isn't perfect. These people are broken but I'm also broken. And in our brokenness together, we want a covenant together to be the church. We're actually painting a picture to an unbelieving world of what Jesus looks like. Now, we haven't done membership particularly well here. You know, on the average Sunday these days, we get between 300 and 350 people here. There's probably well over 400 people who identify this as their church. And I think we have like 50 members. So we're going to be this year giving people opportunities to step into that. But again, I would ask you, as I've already asked you, is what's your relationship with Jesus' church? Does this just work for you? Or are you in with us on Jesus' mission, giving, serving, sacrificing, so that our unbelieving city can know what God is like. They can see the gospel in the way that we live our lives. So that's the church. And I just want to be clear before we transition that this church, this is Jesus's church. He has planted it. He's planted it so that he could be made known in our city. And he's called all of us to live out his mission wherever he has placed us so that he can be made known, so that the gospel can be seen in our city. What I want to do now is transition. I'm going to invite Ken and Rena, and I'll invite Matt and Jay. You guys can come up as well to the front. I'm going to give you a chance just to hear uh, from them briefly. But what I want to do is take this opportunity just to give you an insight into the process by which we bring somebody to this point. Uh, so uh, just, yeah, grab that on your way up. That's great. Uh, so what we um, have here is at West Village is what we call our eldership apprenticeship process. And uh, one of the things we want to do as a church is just heed the words of the Apostle Paul, right? Like he says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And so we really believe that slow is fast in this process. Come on up here, you guys. Yeah, right up here, right up here into the light. So I can see your lovely faces. I know, eh? I know. You guys can come up here too. That's all right. Um, and so the process that we've invited Ken and Rena to, into, it's actually funny. Ken and I were just talking this morning. He was just like, hey, do you remember when we had that first meeting? And we were both confused about when it was, but it was a long time ago. It was like roughly two years ago that we sat down and had our first conversation about the possibility of them entering into uh, this process with us. And it's intentionally open-ended. And the reason for that is because we want to be very careful, careful for 
the church family careful, for Ken and Rena careful, for our eldership. And so the process is, is pretty thorough. One, one of the things that we do is we do theological testing. And I think there'll be a list of uh, these up on the screen. We do theological testing. And so Ken's been reading books. He's actually uh, produced a paper for us that's like 115 pages long. He was working on it for about a year. That, that answers a number of theological questions because... Well, April, that's close to a year, isn't it? Nine months. Nine months. Okay, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Uh, but we feel like if we're going to install somebody to give oversight to the church, it's important that we understand their doctrine. There's been pastoral testing. So uh, I've invited Ken into you know, processes where I'm doing church discipline. Ken and Rena and myself have done counseling with couples, pastoral care. We've shepherded people. And that's just been an opportunity for us to see how they use the gospel to speak the gospel into people's lives, how they shepherd people, how they love people, how they encourage people. Uh, the three of us have been doing a, what we call an elder DNA group, so where we meet a couple times a month and we confess sin and preach the gospel to one another. And then the last thing we do is uh, we, we have what we, we just call like a whole life inspection. Uh, so Ken and Rena have been invited into our elder rhythms where our elders will meet. We usually meet for a meal. Families are all included in that, and they've been a part of that. Rena and the elders' wives have been doing things together. Ken and the, the rest of the elders socially doing things together as well as doing business together. Uh, Kelly, my wife, and I sat down with uh, Ken and Rena's daughters who are here with us this morning and sat in Starbucks one night and literally just like, give us all the dirt on your parents. We want to know, right? Like we want to know, have they, do they ever fight? Like they seem like there's like an aura around them. What's going on? How do they do it? Um, yeah, we, we contacted uh, Ken's employer. We contacted their neighbors. We talked to people in their community group and just like, we wanted to turn over every rock in their life uh, because we wanted to be able to stand in front of you in good faith and good conscience and say, we commend them to you. And so we're here. We've made it. It's been long. It's been hard, but it's been good. And I, I do believe that God's timing is perfect. I, I don't believe it was a second shorter or longer than it needed to be. And so while we don't have a lot of time this morning for us to get the full breadth of who you are, obviously, and there's many people here who have never had the chance to meet you, I would encourage you to get to know them if you haven't just personally had the privilege of spending time with them. Uh, you'd be blessed by it. But if you're wanting to get to know them, just come up to them, talk to them. They're very approachable. But what I want to do is just ask, Ken, ask you one question, and that is, why is it that you feel led to pursue eldership here at West Village? Should be good. Yeah, it's on. Yep. Hey. Didn't want devil working again. <laughs> good morning. My name is Ken, of course, and uh, this is my beautiful bride, Rena. I tried to match the outfit, but just couldn't find anything at home. And my daughters are here as well, Karen, Christina, and Crystal. And believe me, there was no e-transfers involved in this. They did show up. Okay. So why do I want to pursue eldership at West Village Church? That's a good question, Chris. Um, looking back at life, uh, <clears throat> I grew up in a Catholic home, always had aspirations of trying to be in church service. Now, those were my younger days, and there were people that predicted perhaps, you know, you're going to be a priest or somehow be a philosopher. I didn't know why, but they did say that. But life moved on, and uh, things happened, and the thought of being a priest kind of evaded me because 
you know, I had a career through school and university. I knew about God, learned a lot about God in the Catholic home. Um, but somehow, doing life, that was not really on the front burner. Eventually, we landed up in Bahrain, in the Middle East, and of all places, that's where Jesus, who was pursuing me and, and Rena, of course, found us. And our lives began to change. And we always wanted to serve Jesus. We wanted to always obey him. Uh, the reality of who he is and what he did for us was incredible. And we recognized that, right? We then wanted to serve him, but we didn't have that unction of being involved. But we found that the leadership of the church in Bahrain encouraged us and invited us to take on more of a servant role, which we did. And doing that, we learned a lot of church ministry in different areas of the ministry. Um, God said in Bahrain, you now have to move to Ontario, to, to Canada. It took me 24 hours to obey. I made that quick choice. We had eight suitcases, I think, and shipped out of that country, landed up in Toronto, um, stayed a little bit there, and then moved out west to Oakville, a city in, in Ontario, and found a church close by at home. And again, we didn't want to be in the limelight. We wanted to be uh, just the spectators in church. We didn't have that, you know, unction again to serve. So we stepped back, and unfortunately for us, the Lord kept pursuing us in a way that he wanted us to be involved. And so our heart was always to serve him, but we didn't know how. And then that first day at that church, a little old lady that sat right up in the front pew. Now, mind you, we were not wanting to be involved. We sat right in the back. But this woman stood up, doesn't know us, and, and prophetically spoke. And we knew that God had called us to be at that church. I served. We became, uh, you know, I, I was on the board of deacons and things like that. We did a lot of work at that church. And then again, you know, God had a package. Now I want you to move out west. The company that I worked with in uh, Oakville, uh, through acquisitions and mergers, had decided, you know, they were closing down operations out east. And then, you know, God blesses his children. He gave me a package completely expense-free, landed us up in Victoria. We initially worked with uh, uh, visiting Glad Tidings downtown and then landed up at Colwood Pentecostal for a bit. And again, you know, we didn't initially want to serve, but somehow God kept inviting us and getting us involved with people. So I knew that the calling towards being a servant of God was always something in the back of our lives. We got involved with many people, serving them, helping them, you know, mentoring them, counseling them. And um, having said that, we got a, a visit from our elders at West Village. We found West Village because at some point at Colwood, we felt that there was a calling again to make us a change. And that change was keeping us restless, right? We were, we were trying to find a church. We visited here for a couple of sessions and then decided, okay, I agree with the mission and the vision at West Village. You know, they wanted to be a church that reached out to people, telling them who Jesus is. Their vision was to make disciples, to be missional, 
to reach out and tell people, look, there is a savior. And that, that's what met with our objective as well, to say, you know, hey, you know, how are you going to be like Jesus to the people out in Victoria, which is exactly what West Village is all about. And so we blended in, got a visit from our gentleman here. I think it's Chris and Matt, good-looking guys. And I thought, you know, we are, they're starting the conversation on eldership, and we kind of were interested at the beginning, but we said we'll pray about it and thought, okay, uh, my question was, and I'm sure Rena prayed about it too, and I said, Lord, why us? I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, it may be that they approach me because of the gray hair and things like that. You know, they need another guy like that. But then I said, Lord, if it is from you, erase the humanity part of it. Let it be your appointment, right? We worked, we prayed, and then came this task stuff. This book called... Um, the uh, Christian beliefs is a 20-page, 20-item uh, uh, kind of questions of Christian theology by Wayne Grudem. It was pretty gruesome to do. <laughs> but eventually what I did was they gave that to me in April, and then I went, worked through it. But then, you know, I have a full-time job. I have work at home, and then there's, there's the CG that we were part of at West Village, and there's so many other things that we were involved with. But somehow I said, Lord, I don't seem to be giving you the time that you need. Let me be very intentional about finishing this project. Guess what? 117 pages later, on the 31st of December, I nailed it on these guys' <laughs> email and said, look, you gotta read it now, right? <laughs> right? And so, um, you know, I learned a lot in the process about leadership, about being a servant, not hightailing it, thinking, you know what, hey, you gotta be on the front line, you know, you're a great person, none of that nonsense. Jesus taught me that, you know what, I came as a servant. I came to be missional. I came to reach out to, your, to you because I'm a broken sinner and just like I pursued you, I need you as well to remember who you are as a child of God. I'm not special, we, are, we work together great, Arena is incredible with, with her wisdom and knowledge in counseling people, right? Uh, we've done a lot of work uh, with many, many people across our, you know, influence with the Christian walk that we've had. Um, and so eldership to me meant, you know, am I going to be that servant leader that Christ wants me to be, as Chris preached about, right? Am I believing in the foundations that hold the Christian truth? And I do. You know, uh, I have no, how do you call it? I do not have any discouragement or disbelief or anything like that. But still, I'm a human being. I'm broken. I could make wrong choices. And I always say, Lord, if this appointment as an elder is going to be from you, let it be so that we will be equipped by you to be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies in us. That's Jesus to be able to use the giftings of the Holy Spirit of the living God so that we can invest in the lives of people. Now, I know many of you personally, but if I have said anything or hurt you, I ask for your forgiveness. But I, I ask for your prayers as well. Now, you know, this is to me like uh, the 2019 uh, eldership primaries, I guess, but I haven't invested any money. So there's no money exchange at all 
in ads or anything, and I'm not promising any open borders or, you know, <laughs> asylum for anybody, but I'm saying to you, you know, God has called us to do a work, and we, and we are all called in this, by the way, not just us as believers, but we're all called to invest with Jesus to extend his mission into the lives of many people. There are great people around us. Even in our own families, some of them don't know Jesus. There are our neighbors, of course, people at schools, people at the place that we work at. Now, we want to be missional so that Jesus is real to them. And, And as you all know and agree, Jesus is always better than all the stuff that we have, right? And my pursuit of eldership is simply this, is God... How can we, as Rena and Ken, invest with you to make a difference so that somebody will know you and the glory will come to our Savior, who alone is worthy? And I know the battery failed. <laughs> Time's up. But, yeah, I told Nathan to hit yeah. mute at uh, 10 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll speak up anyway. But that's our prayer today is that, you know, that we will as children of God, be able to serve you and him who has called us in a way that will glorify Jesus. That's all I have to say. It's good. Thank you, Ken. You can see why we love them, hey? Yeah. Um, and really quickly, I do, I do want to read something for you. Uh, one of the questions in Ken's, uh, in Ken's paper was this. The Bible says that God equips his children through the power of the Holy Spirit. What are some ways that you've grown in holiness that are only explicable because of the Holy Spirit's power? And Ken wrote this. He said, once having been justified by accepting Jesus and being continuously filled with his Holy Spirit, he's helped me by identifying the attitudes, thoughts, and intents of the heart. I've grown in being more sensitive to his voice and leading when he reminds me to view people as he made them in his image and likeness. And given this image bearing perception, I'm able to treat them with respect and love, no matter what their background may be. In terms of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, I've made strides in becoming a more loving, joyful, peaceful, forbearing, kind, gentle, patient, faithful, and self-controlled person. I'm continuously reminded of placing my trust in him and not falling for the sin of unbelief and doubt. I do not allow anxieties, fears, worries, or bad thoughts to overwhelm me as a child of God, and I remind myself at the prompting of the Holy Spirit that I'm a child of God and nothing can happen to me that he is not aware of. I must live in the confidence of the cross and the victory it brought over sin, Satan, and death. And he's given me the assurance of an eternity with him that I could never have received on my own strength or merit. It's wonderful. I appreciate you guys a lot. Um, Before we pray for them, which we will do in just a second, I want you to understand kind of how this process goes from here. So essentially now the burden of responsibility shifts to the church family. Uh, for the last year and a half, we have been working with them and we feel like we can stand up here in good conscience and say that we commend them to you. But ultimately we want to, as elders, humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the church family. And so there's two ways in which you guys get to participate in this process. The first is this, if you have any concerns, if any of you as Ken already alluded to, if there's been any offense or anything that you think we need to know about with regards to Ken and Rena, then we want to encourage you to let us know. You can do that by talking to myself. This is uh, Jay here, and this is Matt. Uh, You can talk to us personally, or we have an email address set up if you'd rather send an email. It's just elders at westvillagechurch.com. Just send us an email and let us know, and and we will certainly uh, follow up with that with prudence. Uh, Second thing you can do, and and we really want... uh, 
all of you to participate in this. Uh, on Sunday, February 3rd, we're having what we call a vision and prayer night. And this is a night where we come together as a church family and kind of look back at the previous year and ahead at the year in front of us. And we do a lot of things at that meeting. Some of it is talking about budget. Some of it is praying for our city. One of the things we're going to do at that meeting is affirm elders. And so we would strongly encourage you to come and be there uh, so that you can participate in this process with us. Uh, you know, even just take a screenshot and you know, make sure that gets in your calendar because we think it's really important. It's going to be at the Forge Church, which is just around the corner, 430 to 7.30, potluck supper, uh, just bring something to share. But a, a huge part of that is coming together as a church family and, and just participating in, in this process with us. And so uh, what I'm going to do now, if you guys could just come step up here in the front, I've asked Jay if he would pray. I don't know if we have a mic, but if not, just yell, man, full of the spirit. Or here we could just like... Yeah, like a duet. No, something. let's not do that. That's awkward. <laughs> to hear the word serving so many times and that there's a heart for you and the desire to be servant leaders and that again is a picture of a, of a savior that came and gave everything and didn't ask for anything and gave, gave his life that God gave his son, his one and only son, his perfect son. And so just let that wash over us, Holy Spirit. I see fruit in their life. There is fruit of the Spirit, absolutely, and I'm just Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. You stay here. You guys are welcome to go back to your seats. Uh, one other small item, and actually I'll invite the band to come up um, just as we wind down. There's, there's one other piece of elder business that we have to do this morning, and that is uh, we also have something, kind of a provision in our eldership process that we call the elder reaffirmation process. And so what the elder reaffirmation process is, is that every three years, like we believe elders are called. When you're called to be an elder, you're called to be an elder. It's a calling of God. However, we're not so naive as to think that uh, at some point an elder is not going to fall into sin uh, or, or something could happen that would actually disqualify uh, that man from the role of elder. And so what we have put in, in our elder process is just a provision whereby every three years, uh, we as elders want to come back before the church family and, and again, just humble ourselves before you and say, we, we want to submit ourselves to you and, and ask you the question, uh, do you think that we are still qualified to be elders in this church? 
Uh, and so Matt, for Matt and I, it's been three years. And so the elder reaffirmation process looks similar to the elder apprenticeship process, although it's much uh, less robust. It's a little bit, uh, okay. no paper. It's a little bit lighter because we've already done a lot of that work. And so the process essentially has two things. One, we do a whole life uh, inspection. And so um, it was a little bit awkward because we both were up for reaffirmation. So what we did is we asked a friend of ours named Jeff Wall, who's an elder in another church, part of a Soma church who we're really good friends with here. And he's friends with many of you, asked him if he would uh, do on our behalf some, some work. So he called our wives. He called uh, some people in our community group. He called Matt's boss. He called my non-Christian neighbor, Chris and just simply ask the question, like, this is what eldership is. Do their lives match it? And then he came back and said that, you know, the feedback was, was really good and commends us. Uh, but then the second part of that process is just, again, at the uh, Vision and Prayer Night, coming before you and, and saying to you as a church family, do you still feel that we are qualified to give oversight to this church? And so, uh, again, uh, February 3rd, uh, we want you to come and be there. If you have questions about Matteri, you can talk to Jay or Ken uh, or send an email uh, to that email address. And uh, again, those will be followed up with. But just wanted to let you know about that process too. So thank you, Matt. Um, and then just as we move into a time of response, I know, I, I know this is not like a typical Sunday, right? Like I'm not dumb. I, I know you're like, oh, this is long. You've been talking about things that don't really matter a whole lot to me, but I want us to feel the weight of the goodness of God in this moment, right? We're coming up on our eight-year anniversary as a church. It's pretty cool, yeah. Eight years ago... 20 of us, adults and kids combined, sitting in a living room, dreaming dreams that we had no business dreaming, answering questions that we had no business seeking to, to even try and answer, like, how are we going to make a difference in people's lives? How are we going to reach the city? What's God going to do? And here we are eight years later, hundreds of people, missional communities, community groups all over the city, and God calling and raising up men and women, to be involved in his church. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of the grace of God. His faithfulness to us has been so good. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's been faithful to us. The ultimate demonstration of his faithful to us, faithfulness to us is not in a church that's thriving and growing and where there's life. The ultimate demonstration of his faithfulness to us is what he did for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. And so we're going to come forward and take communion. There's going to be two stations at the front. There'll be a cracker, wine, or juice, whichever you would prefer. But this is the ultimate picture of what we are about. This is the ultimate picture of the faithfulness of Jesus to us, that he would humbly lay down his life for us, that we might be called sons and daughters. And so we're going to sing. We're going to invite you to come forward and take communion. If this is your church and you're a follower of Jesus, we encourage you to give because he's been so generous and so good to us. And so we give in response to that. Ken and Rena would be in the back and they would love to be prayed. Uh, they would love to pray with you if you need any prayer. I want to invite you to stand and I will pray for us as we respond. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you indeed are building your church. You indeed are alive and well in our city. You indeed are calling people to yourself. You're drawing us in. Lord, help us to see not just the business of church taking place here, but help us to see the beneath the veil 
that your spirit is working in hearts. You're drawing men and women unto yourself. You're raising up leaders. You're making disciples. You're changing our lives. And Lord, in this moment right now, as we come to the table and remember your grace, Lord, pull back the veil. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear of how good you are, of how good you are, of, of, of the reality right now, no matter what thing we're facing, confronted with, challenge that just seems insurmountable, that, that you want us to lift our heads and see that you indeed are better, better than anything we could long for or strive for. And as we come forward this morning and, and literally taste and see of your goodness and grace, would our hearts be full and our mouths be glad, declaring the praises of the Lord Almighty. Let's respond together.